78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, the Little Alamo Airbnb, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, and Birdie House. In-kind sponsors are Wilkins Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. Bloodletting is a historical medical practice that involved deliberately removing blood from a person's body. It was believed to restore balance of bodily fluids and alleviate various ailments. Bloodletting was thought to remove excess blood or humors, which were considered the root causes of illness. However, with the advancement of scientific knowledge and modern medicine, bloodletting has been discredited and abandoned as an ineffective and potentially harmful treatment. However, this phenomenon is exactly what happens emotionally when one plays the blues. They let out all the pain and suffering and musical lament, and in so doing, join both themselves and the listener in a catharsis by which healing begins. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. Sarah Barlow is a blues singer, musician, and songwriter that's living in Lockhart, Texas. Clifford Antone managed and mentored Sarah's early blues career at Antone's from 2005 to 2006. She performed with legends Pine Top Perkins and Derek O'Brien and with the Blue Monday House Band. Plans with Clifford and Derek to record her first debut blues album on the Antone's label faded as Clifford passed away weeks before in 2006. She joined us in the studio to uh, perform a song and also talk about her work as a songwriter, as a musician, and also with a project she has called the Texas Blues Archive. So I've always kind of just grown up around music. Um, my grandparents, um, they lived in Austin since like the early 70s, and they were just around in the blues scene. And you know, Antones and uh, my grandpa was a big blues fan, so he had seen all the legends. He was from North Dakota, but he, he went over to Haight-Ashbury and then down came down to Austin. He saw the, you know, Taj Mahal and, um, you know, all the greats, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, all the blues, blues artists, and then came to Austin and, you know, it was a whole scene. So uh, just growing up around that, uh, both me and my sister kind of had a access to hearing my grandpa's blues albums, a lot of that. And the, some of the first albums that I heard um, were on the Arhuli label, which was Lightning Hopkins and Man's Lipscomb. And uh, I just remember our grandpa telling us, you know, these are the Texas blues legends and, you know, Man's Lipscomb, he's from Navasota and just places that we were familiar with. And it was just cool learning about uh, that history. It just seemed so kind of mysterious to me. Right away, I just kind of felt something when I listened to Lightning Hopkins playing and um, felt very moved, you know. And so I just always had kind of a, a passion for blues music. We have uh, just a family kind of full of artists. Um, and actually our other 
grandpa, which we didn't grow up around, but they're from Memphis. And that grandfather was in um, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. So we just sort of have it in our family history. You know, I spent a lot of time working with Clifford Antone before he passed away, and he was my manager and mentor. So I was going into that world, you know, I was playing with Derek O'Brien and Ponta Perkins and those legends, you know, um, Mike Keller and all the Gary Clark Jr. Um, so I just felt like it, it, it provided a lot of like foundation for me musically um, to hear that structure of the blues. It's always just been like kind of the, the backbeat to my songwriting ideas. Um, more or less, it's like keeping it simple, but there's so much depth within that. And so that's sort of where I draw from. Even if I've gone off to other genres that are more like country or soul, it, I realize that it all just kind of comes out of the blues. So having that foundation for me early on as a teenager kind of helped me through throughout the rest of my life. And I just kind of find that I always just come back to the blues. So, so that's where I'm at right now. It's sort of a full circle with that. And more for me, it's like, yeah, I love all all the other styles of blues and kind of follow the history of where it came from, you know, the Delta and then some of that moved into Texas, and then some of the blues musicians went to Chicago, you know. And so then the big Chicago sound became a big thing, which kind of, in that way, sort of, you know, you had um, Lightning Hopkins and Mance and all those guys um, playing more acoustically. But then when everything went electric in Chicago, that kind of came down back to Texas, and that influenced the Texas blues sound with, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan and everybody. But um, a lot of that just happened at Antone's. And so it's just like all right here. I guess that I just feel a connection with it since this is where I grew up. And uh, there's just so much richness in that. And also like my grandparents and, and my family are kind of like have that, that background that to me, it feels super familiar um, to explore and kind of promote that sound more, uh, not any more than the other, other areas of blues. Like I do it all together and that's sort of why I created Texas Blues Archive is to uh, try to bring in how that happened, you know, which areas of the country where blues artists were, musicians were playing and where they traveled to. And it does all kind of revolve around going through Texas in a way. It's kind of odd. I don't know if that was because of the circuit that people were playing or, I, yeah. you know what I mean? There was that. Um, like the Chitlin circuit came through here and a lot of the blues were in Houston and Dallas, you know, and then that kind of, uh, there were blues in Austin on the East side. That's really where, uh, before Antone's where the blues were and the artists, um, there's, there's the victory grill over there. So, you know, all the legends came through and, um, even got to go to the Longhorn ballroom a few weeks ago to hang out with Emmylou Harrison, her band. And, um, it was just amazing to see that every single, like, soul blues and you know rock and roll legend country legend had played there but that all the blues guys played you know even al green and so the blues archive texas blues archive that's your is it a non-profit or is it a it's something that i'm turning into a non-profit um to kind of like collaborate more with like um i've been talking with the arhuli foundation about bringing them down here um for some kind of museum exhibits and um, I've been talking quite a bit with the director about, you know, Texas blues and where Chris Strackwitz had um, recorded Lightning Hopkins and Mance and his, uh, they just have so much archive, but I feel like people here would love to learn more about it. Don't 
Sarah Barlow and The Heat will be playing at Commerce Hall on Saturday, May 20th. $10 at the door. Show starts at 7 p.m. Singer-songwriter Melissa Engelman blends haunting all-country folk with whispers of the blues. She was born in Kansas and raised in Texas, and she grew up listening to Willie Nelson, Patsy Cline, Peggy Lee, Tori Amos, and the Beatles. And after writing melodies and lyrics from a young age, she picked up a guitar to accompany herself, though she was too shy to play in front of people. She studied performance and playwriting in college to help overcome her shyness and made the move to Austin, Texas. In 2010, she released At the Hotel Cafe, which is a live recording of her set, during a songwriter showcase at the L.A. Club, The Hotel Cafe. She joins us in the studio to talk about her work and her upcoming projects and to perform a song that uh, we worked on together. I pretty much always wrote melodies and lyrics, like, since I was a kid. Um, and I was always in choir and that kind of stuff. But I was also very, very shy, so... Um, it took me a long time to get around to like playing guitar and putting, you know, music to my melodies and stuff like that. Um, so I didn't really start, I started playing out, um, just a lot as much as I could when I, right before I turned 30. So it took me a little while. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, it's sometimes it's a lot to overcome if you're just in your, in your writing world and then going out and playing shows, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But I guess it started as a kid, writing songs too? Yeah. I mean, I I think because I was so, I was always in some kind of music as a kid. I was always in choir or like orchestra um, um, that I, I don't know, I just always was writing little melodies and, and stuff like that. And I didn't really uh, think about um, do, like, doing something with it until much later, mostly because I was just really shy. Um, I took when I got to college, I took a lot of theater classes so I could um, be better at being in front of people. <laughs> That's a good idea. Without yeah. panicking, <laughs> yeah. No, I just panic like very internally, <laughs> but it's not maybe physically visible as much. <laughs> Is that it's a skill you got at the theater class? You think? Yeah. Yeah, because you because I was um, a straight up like. A math and science like nerd <laughs> I mean I was I went to like math contests when I was a kid um and I did do you know I did like choir performances and those kinds of things but that was like with a big group of people you know <laughs> um but I thought I thought theater would be one of the hardest things I could do because you had to get in front of somebody get in front of people every day um and that was that was hard because sometimes I was like, can I just do like math <laughs> in the back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but you chose to do that, right? Yeah, I just was trying to. I don't know. I've just I like to learn new things, and I saw it as like a challenge, you know, for myself. But if I hadn't if I hadn't studied theater, like I probably never would have played music for anybody. That's a great personal challenge, you know, to say like, I want to play music, so I gotta beat this skill set. That's cool. Yeah, so if you're actually, listening out there, take theater classes if you have stage fright. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think I necessarily um, thought of it in terms of music either. Uh, just for me, like as a personal challenge, because I used to, when I was a kid, I would go to like these uh, choir contests and stuff like that. And I, I remember when I was maybe like twelve or thirteen, I got so nervous, I just started crying and I ran out of the room. <laughs> So I was very afraid to like be in front of people by myself, you know. So um, yeah, so it was good. It really helped me like be, you know, more confident in front of people. Still like math and science, I guess, or still something. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not in school anymore, obviously, but I, I, I mean, I've, I've always been like, I feel sort of equally interested because I, I've always been in like music and, you know, choir and those kinds of things. Um, but, I, and I love like, you know, I'm not, I used to be really good at like German. I love like learning foreign languages and those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I really, I think that, and I think there's a certain way in which math, like turn, like once you get to a certain point in math, like math really is art, you know? So I don't feel like they're too far, like music and math maybe aren't necessarily completely divergent. I mean, I think they, uh, you know, I always see articles and stuff that say, you know, like if you're like if your kid studies music like they'll be good at it helps them in other areas in school you know um and i just i uh i think that math also gets like to a point where it's sort of abstract you know and um like with geometry and those kinds of things like all that is like to me that is kind of art you know um and i think it's the same with uh like th maybe the same part of your brain that the foreign language part, I think that also has to do with um, music or some, you know, I think those are also related. So I think maybe in other places, it's not so rigid like other countries, um, but I feel like you're very like pushed to focus on like in one area and then like, and then like that's your area. And then that's also like your life and your personality, like forever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I feel like it's, everything's so intertwined, you know, and it's, um, it, it makes me sad, like, that people feel like they have to do, like, one exact thing their whole entire lives, and then that's all they're allowed to do. Like, I feel like, um, you know, why not take math classes or, you know, and, or be a math nerd and then, like, take, take theater, you know, like, why not do that? Like, yeah, it's, don't. Um, and I think in, I read something about, uh, I think it's in Iceland, that they fully expect you to make, like, these wild career changes. Like, it's not, a thing on your like on your resume where where they'd be like oh so like you had a mental breakdown or something you know or something it's like oh cool like that's a different part of your it's a new part of your life you know um where I think is like the other way where you're like focused to do this where you have to do this one thing like I think that's the thing that leads to mental breakdowns you know <laughs> like and not being able to do anything different so I mostly just play on my own I'm hoping that when I have this um album finished and out I'd like to do full band shows because I want everyone to hear what it sounds like you know um and I've been in I've been in a band before but most of my for my stuff I've mostly just played solo um I moved to Austin in uh 2001 and I played really intermittently for a long time and then and then it took me like till I was almost 30 to really start really start playing shows and just playing as many as I could um and now now it's kind of weird because I I am playing shows, but I'm not, haven't been uh, making particular efforts about booking. It's been very strange, like since the pandemic, <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm like warming up to it now, you know, like these, um, the, um, some of the shows that I've been playing recently are more just like my friends are playing and they ask me if I want to play, <laughs> you know, play too, you know? Um, so that's, what's been going on. My first gig in Lockhart was playing at the boot shop. Um, but that was before the pandemic. Um, Jennifer um, invited me to play there during um, like there's I think it was during first Friday or something during the Christmas because <laughs> I know that I missed the entire Christmas parade <laughs> yeah <laughs> my dad teased me about that. he was like did you know how cool that parade was like he still teases me about that in the quiet is sort of about 
I've I've been around a lot of people like that sort of I guess the nice way to say it is they like project their <laughs> negativity on on me and I'm a sensitive person and I am considerate and I take on a lot of what people say or at the very least like just think about it a lot <laughs> and worry that there's truth truth to it so um that song is kind of about like I just took a long time where I just didn't you know date anyone and like I just sort of went with my instincts about what people were saying would say to me and whether it felt good or didn't feel good and so it's kind of about just like getting in that place of like your own like only hearing your own voice <laughs> in your head about like who you are I wandered the halls of all that I've done wrong, and I've spent hours counting up all of my faults, and I replayed mistakes like the sad song, and I.
Lisa Engelman will be playing at The Pearl on Friday, May 26th. Starts at 8 p.m. Attention all hat lovers. You are cordially invited to a once-in-a-lifetime celebration of the master hatter himself, David Torres, at Texas Hatters. If you own a hat crafted by David, this is a can't-miss event. Join us on July 2nd from noon to 6 p.m. at Texas Hatters to celebrate the incredible skills and talent of one of the world's most renowned hatters. Bring your David Torres hat and mix and mingle with other hat enthusiasts while enjoying mouth-watering barbecue from Kreitz Market. But the fun doesn't stop there. We're also calling on all musicians who own a David Torres hat to get in touch with Texas Hatters at 512-398-4287 for a chance to perform at the event. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to showcase your talent and entertain fellow hat aficionados. So mark your calendars, grab your David Torres hat, and get ready for a day of fun, food, and festivities at Texas Hatters. We can't wait to see you there. Come on down to Texas Hatters, where we top the best. Lockhart has become a destination outside of Austin. I think people from San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston are starting to learn about Lockhart. It's not just about barbecue. It's also about live music. Um, it's about art. It's about a community that is coming together, and there's a lot of excitement on the square. I purchased this house in 2021, and I loved it because it has great architecture. It was built in 1925. During the 1960s, it was purchased by Marcus Haynes, who is a Harlem Globetrotter. There is a garage apartment next door to it as well, and it has kind of a New Orleans feel look to it. We put ferns up, has the wrought iron. Both of these properties sit on a third of an acre, just off the square in Lockhart. What are you waiting for? Book your stay at the Little Alamo B&B in Lockhart, Texas, like today. Clyden with this week's installment of Tricks in the Kitchen. Today I will fill you listeners in on a surefire way to test a chicken for freshness. First, make sure the chicken meat has a pinkish quality. Remember this little hint drumstick yellow, kill a fella. Next, the best way to test a chicken for freshness is to head to the poultry section of the local grocery. Once there, approach the chicken carefully, crack your knuckles, and slap the absolute tarnation out of the bird. If it slaps you back, it's too fresh. This is Annalisa Hinterclyden saying tune in next time for Tricks in the Kitchen where we will learn what to do with those leftover pork rib bones. (laughs) 
Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page and daily in our stories called The Roundup. If you want to know what's going on in town tonight, check out 78644podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to go to find out when our next episode is out. Subscribers will be getting an email about our May event in the next day or so, and it's going to creep into early June, but don't worry, you won't be disappointed. Sign up to see where the next hang is at. You'll also be on the inside of everything that's going on in Lockhart. Also, you'll get a playlist of all songs featured on the podcast along with bonus tracks. To sign up, go to 78644podcast.com and click on subscribe. Sign up for a reoccurring donation of $5 or more. And as always, don't forget to tip the band. Thursday, May 18th at Old Pal, Nate Guthrie will be playing from 7 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have an open mic hosted by Michael James Trio at Arts and Craft starting at 8 p.m. An evening of Yacht Rock with the Breeze Cats to celebrate everything smooth. And Sarah B.'s birthday is that night, too. $10 cover goes to the band. El Rey is going to have karaoke night. Friday, May 19th, Old Pal will have the Light Aluminum from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m., the Pearl will have Tony Taylor from 8 to 10 p.m. Arts and Craft is going to have uh, three amazing bands for the price of one, High Heavens, the Tea Snakes, and the Etc. are going to be insane that night. So 5 to $10 suggested donation to the band. We recommend a high price. Just, you know, goes to the musicians. Martindale River Cafe is going to have Jeremy Parsons. Saturday, May 20th. Old Pal is going to have Libby and the Loveless, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Commerce Hall will have Mushroom Manor Presents, Sarah Barlow and The Heat. $10 at the door, starts at 7. Martindale River Cafe will have Chopper Showdown in Littletown with Brock Macarelli and the Rock Bottom String Band. Sunday, May 21st, The Pearl will have W.C. Clark's Sunday Matinee, and that's 3 to 5 p.m. Arts and Craft will have the Irish Music Session, Starting at 4.30 p.m. and goes to 8. Wednesday, May 24th, The Pearl will have Chris Lancaster from 7 to 9 p.m. Thursday, May 25th, Old Pal will have Richard Watson playing from 7 to 9 p.m. El Rey will have karaoke night. Friday, May 26th, Martindale River Cafe will have Kirsten White. Old Pal will have the burrito special from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl... We'll have Melissa Engelman and guest. It's a song swap from 8 to 10 p.m. Commerce Hall will have Plum Creek Records presents The Tender Things, Night Glitter, Little Mazarn, and Doors are at 7. $15 at the door goes to the musicians. Saturday, May 27th, Old Pal will have Charlie Murphy. I was a huge Rick James fan. When I was in the Navy, I, used to, I had all of his joints. I used to be in the mirror singing his records. I used to be able to do a pretty good Rick James. From 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Sunday, May 28th, Old Pal will have Brunch, Not Brunch, starting at 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. with Will Southern playing. The Pearl will have the W.C. Clark Sunday Matinee starting at 3, ends at 5 p.m. Tuesday, May 30th, Commerce Hall will have Two-Step Tuesday with the Fraulines, sponsored by Topa Chico. Lessons begin at 7, and the music starts at 8. And that's it for 78644 News. Sidetracked is an Austin, Texas-based blues band that's doing a lot of work here in Lockhart. 
And uh, they were kind enough to come in and talk with me about uh, what they've been up to and play some songs as well. So the band um, began in 2019. It was fronted by Jimmy Talbot, actually. It, and it was a four-piece band. We started playing a jam at Lodoff Fanny's right down the street from here. When uh, Jimmy was fronting the band, we did a CD. It's called Right Place, Right Time. We were pretty successful. Then the pandemic hit, and um, we didn't go out anywhere. Jimmy got sick and unfortunately passed away. And um, my daughter called me one day and said, I'm going to get you a gig as the pandemic was waning. And she got the load off Fanny's gig back for us, but I didn't have a band because Jimmy didn't want to play anymore. So I put a band together for the first gig, got past it, called Marcus up, who and we had never met really, never right. met formally. Said, I have a job, I have a jam at Load Off Fanny's. You want to do it with me? And so he said, sure. And we did that for a while, and then we've morphed into what we are today. We played all over Austin, Round Rock, Seguin, Wimberley. But um now we have a lot of gigs in Lockhart. We do a few originals, but it's basically, you know, not the overplayed uh, covers, you know, that most blues bands do. We kind of try to do something that's, you know, not so played, I guess you'd say. I guess it's a Memphis way of playing. I don't well, know. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Memphis, if that belays anything. So Steve Cropper was a no-nonsense sort of guitar player, and that's kind of what Nathan is, too. He doesn't do bells and whistles and all kinds of bending and all that kind of, I mean, he just does what, what you're supposed to do, you know. You know, when I was younger, I was super into blues rock, right? And playing really loud and really fast. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that really. I, I know a lot of great players that can play that way, but as I, you know, the longer I played, the more I tried to, uh, started listening to older stuff and stuff that was more straight blues and less of the rock stuff. And occasionally the rock stuff still comes out, but I think that's fine. Like, um, yeah, but yeah, I'm super into, you know, 60s and 70s um, and 50s blues uh, for the most part. Then, Jamie, you joined the, the group, started working out here in Lockhart a little. I mean, in 2019, there were some places to play like Load Ops, but now I think there's like five venues and more coming <laughs> Yeah, <it laughs> to play to here me. in Lockhart, which is, as a musician, is nice. So. Yeah, um, I, I pretty much had kind of a, uh, I'd done some playing with Marcus in the past, and uh, I always loved his voice and stuff. And, and uh, I kind of came out to, you know, a couple of their, you know, their blues jams and stuff. And we always had fun, fun jamming. And that's pretty much just kind of how it happened. You know, uh, I, I loved what they were doing and, and uh, glad to be here doing it. You know, it's, it's fun stuff. I you know it sounds like a cliche, but we're trying to be true to the music. Yeah. And we came upon that independently. It wasn't like we all got together and said, hey, let's start a blues band and be true to the music. No, we all felt this way about the music. And we all have this commonality of going back to where it started. And we, we look at the tunes we're going to play, and we know which was the original version. And we know that sounds like that, just like we were doing with the tremolo, you know, make it sound like this. So we're trying to play the songs like they were played, but not in such a way that we can't make them modern. Right. We're trying to ca capture the feel of the song more than being wedded to the technical uh you know, ins and outs uh, exactly like on the record and all that. If you listen to what we did and then listen to the record, there might be big differences, but the feel would be, a, you know, the same. Blues is one of those genres, too, that's like, is it still sells a lot of CDs. 
and it still has a really loyal following around the world. You know, people have been waiting for the blues to die for 40 years. You know, it goes through periods when people say, oh, the blues is dead. Oh, the blues has come back. But I've always felt that people love the blues whether they know it or not. And if we can get ourselves in front of them, you know, they'll enjoy it. Plus, with younger generations, uh, you know, there, there might be a knock. Oh, you're doing songs that have been done before. For a younger generation, it's the first time they've heard it. So it's new to them. It's such an expressive, I mean, all music is, is expressive, but blues is really accessible, I think, to a lot of people in the way that it's expressive. And so we keep seeing these artists, like Rich was just saying, it doesn't ever really go away because someone who's really, you know, masterfully expressing themselves through the blues comes out and, you know, it was Steve Ray Vaughan in the 80s and 90s, and now we've got Gary Clark Jr., right, you know, also using it to, to, as a foundation for all sorts of cool stuff he's doing. And Jackie Vincent, I guess, comes yeah, to mind as one of the Vincent. new <coughs> blues artists, at least yeah. from Austin, that is really successful. There's just always something cool going on with it, and then I think you, so that always keeps it going, which is amazing to see, and and then you have the, the I think social media is a big, a big part of it, um, having even more, you know, building on top of all this great artists that are doing stuff with it, you know, social media, people can share clips of musicians playing, you know, their instruments. It's really inspiring to see all that. I think it's contributed to the resurgence of, of that kind of music. That's good, yeah. Have you guys spent any time doing any shows in Houston? Not yet. It's such a great thing going on down there for blues. Just after the the, uh, the pandemic uh, started going away, let's put it like that, I played a few, I played in Houston at, at the Big Easy. Yeah, the uh, easy with just sitting in kind of thing. Yeah, you know, uh, but not with our band or, that, that's or any a, band. Actually, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I, I'm curious because I feel like that's the real vibe going on down there. So mm-hmm. many people from New Orleans <laughs> moved there after yeah. Katrina, you know. And I well, spent that, some time. That song that that we do that uh, uh, I don't want no woman was done by Bobby Blue Bland, who I get, I believe was from like Collegeville, Tennessee, which is close to Memphis, but he recorded in Houston. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that two steps from the blues, which is probably the that's the best record. Yeah, it was Antone's favorite blues record. That's period. So yeah, Clifford Antone's. Yeah, and Clifford did so much for musicians. I mean, Austin was a blues city, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, after it was a country and western city, it was also mm-hmm. a blues city. So. Bob Wills is still the king. We know that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but is there anything you guys want to cover before we jump off? Well, we we we're, we've got a big May uh, coming up with shows. Um, we play the, the blues first, jam. The blues yeah, jam the blues jam is every couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, that's every other Sunday. El Ray out at the El Ray here in Lockhart. And we we play the first Saturday of every month at um, the Old Pal. And we have a couple gigs at Terry Black's uh, Barbecue. So we're out there in Lockhart. <laughs> Yes, I miss kissing. Well, the love I miss loving. No, your kiss I miss kissing. Before I met you, baby, I didn't know what I was missing. Well, I was a love, pretty baby. I have been strong for you. You know the love, pretty baby. 
7864 is made possible by Texas Hatters, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, The Little Alamo Airbnb, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, and Birdie House. Our in-kind sponsors are Williams Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. 
Our show is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound here in Lockhart, Texas, edited by myself, Stephen Collins, with help from Danny Manning, in-studio performances by Sarah Barlow, Melissa Engelman, and Sidetracked. Thank you to our newest contributor, Jason Williams, as well. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else where podcasts are streamed. Thanks for listening.